Right now, every week, it's a fixture here on the Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg Show. On Monday mornings, Rich Lowry of the National Review. Thanks for joining us all again, Rich. Now, Rich, uh, get us up to speed, because we see there is drama with tapes. It's not the Richard Nixon tapes. It is the tapes. Not the Hunter Biden tapes. Not the Hunter Biden tapes. How many tapes are there? Well... (laughs) That's what Rich can answer because every day it seems we hear a different tape being released uh, having to do with uh, the minority leader now expected to be possibly the uh, Speaker of the House uh, in the midterm elections, McCarthy from California. We're hearing crystal clear Memorex tapes in which he is saying, I'm telling the president at that time, January 6th, he's got to resign. He's got to move on. We've got to move beyond Trump. Where is this all going to lead to, Rich? Well, I don't think Kevin is. Uh, um, I admire Kevin, but I don't think he's covered himself in glory here. And the, the big stakes for him is: does it upset Trump enough that Trump opposes his speakership bid once Republicans take the majority in November, which is pretty much a lock? Um, and, and does that block him from being speaker? Rick, uh, what was the certain? See, see. What, what people make mistakes. Tell us the circumstances around when uh, when he said that. Well, it's in the immediate aftermath of January 6th when everyone's hair is on fire. I think justifiably, I think that was a terrible day for the country. Um, and he, he, he was uh, t- taped um, having this conversation and then has denied it since. And then the tape emerged and he, he said it's still taken out of context. You know, and and I, who did he say it to? I, I'm not entirely sure. All right. So uh, I think until we find out the exact circumstances, uh, what is the total conversation instead of taking it out of context? Yeah. So that's now, exactly what I was going to say. I, is that, you know, uh, and everybody, and, and, and Rich, you know, uh, I'm a middle-of-the-road person. I'm not an extreme right wing. I'm not extreme left wing. I'm the middle-of-the-road person. And the thing I have a problem with on January 6th, everybody goes around saying, it was horrible, horrible. But nobody's saying is that they didn't break down the walls. They didn't break down the doors to the Capitol. I understand the Capitol Police opened them. And and, and we're letting people in. Do you, do you know anything about that? Well, there, there are kind of two phases. One, there were a bunch of thugs that legitimately... Um, beat up cops, uh, broke. They're broke always windows. When, when you have and, when you have gang, when you have a gang of, of ten thousand or twenty thousand, a there are a bunch of thugs for sure that are looking for do uh, to do bad things. Two, there was undercover uh, agents in there from whatever agencies decided. I mean, sometimes it's a joke how many undercover people there are, or some how many agencies there are, but. Nobody broke down those doors. I understand. And and Nancy Pelosi did not, did not call in the National Guard, even though she had the option to. And the Capitol Police opened the doors. And I, I've seen videos where the Capitol Police are actually, you know, people are walking in and saying, you know, come on in. I mean, yeah, they're, I, they're t- they're when two, do we get the two. truth, the truth about what really happened? There are two phases. There was a vanguard that was violent and determined to break their way in. They did. And then subsequently, um, you know, those those guys 
run into the chamber. And then subsequently, you know, no one quite knows what's going on. And there are cops who have the doors open and are waving people in. There was a, uh, a guy who was acquitted. So why is everybody walking around saying, oh, that's horrible, that's horrible. It is horrible. But why did the Capitol Police open those doors? You, you, you need a tank to, to, to open up those doors. Well, the, the, the Capitol had already been breached. So it had been breached violently. Um, where? And, From and where? Had, huh? all, all over the Capitol. I mean, there's, there's video. There's video. The outside there. of the Capitol was breached, but nobody was inside the, uh, inside the Capitol. Mm, no, people broke into the Capitol. This is this is established. Again, there are two phases. There's one that there was a violent struggle of the mob to break into the Capitol. They succeeded. And then in the, the subsequent chaos and disorder, there were cops who had the doors open and were waving people in. And those those are the videos you see of people kind of now. Now, Rich Lowry, the, Rich Lowry, speaking, the, speaking of videos, yeah. the new video that's been released over the weekend and is uh, circulating everywhere is on that same day. Vice President uh, Pence is being hustled out of the Capitol. He's in the company of Secret Service agents. They're asking him to get into a car. Is it is it true what we're being told that he didn't get in the car and why wouldn't he get in the car? Well, the, what Pence and his people have always said is that he he thought it would be a terrible message to send to be hustled out of the, the Capitol um, to escape a mob. That that would just be a, send a terrible signal about U.S. democracy. Now they're both on the campaign trail. Meaning, former President Donald Trump. He was in Ohio, huge rally. Uh, in support of his Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate. I see that former Vice President Pence is out there campaigning for, at times, Republicans who Donald Trump is not going to endorse. What is the purpose of Pence being out there? Is this to try to thwart Donald Trump's nominees from winning the Republican nominations in their respective states? I don't think that's that's the main thrust of what Pence is doing. I think Pence is among um, a group of people kind of circling, waiting to see what happens in 2024 and in terms of Trump uh, running. And if Trump certainly if Trump doesn't run, I think Pence Pence will run. So you have a bunch of people out there, Tom Cotton, Ron DeSantis. Others building their name ID, building their networks, um, traveling the country and and waiting and see what what Donald does, which will obviously be highly determinative of what that field looks like in 24. Now, Rich Lowry, what do the Democrats do as President Joe Biden's polling numbers are plummeting? He's down to 33 percent acceptability. There's got to be panic through the ranks of uh, Democrats running for their Senate seats because that could flip. And obviously, definitely in the House, we've seen so many Democrats opt to retire rather than to get down into a major battle to keep their seats. Do they have any strategy to try to stabilize this uh, this fall into the political abyss? No, <laughs> there's there's one approach which we see a lot of Democrats actually taking a shockingly large number of Democrats, which is stop the madness. You know, you see it on the border. When, you know, Biden says he's going to lift Title 42, which is going to create a total catastrophe at the border. And you've had a lot of Democrats, even Beto O'Rourke down in Texas, saying, oh, we don't think this is very well, well thought through. And maybe you shouldn't do that. So that's kind of the, the attempting some separation strategy. 
from an unpopular president, which never really works. And then you have Elizabeth Warren out there saying, you know, you know what he needs to do? He needs to double down on his agenda. And the, the only reason he's unpopular, he hasn't passed all this stuff. And that's a total fantasy. You know, that's a more cowbell approach from this famous SNL skit. And that's not going to work either. So they're just going to get wiped out in November. They'll certainly lose the House. I think that they'll lose the Senate as well. And then, you know, we can see if Biden can somehow find his footing again. But obviously the problem is that this, this is not a guy who's in great shape. This is not a guy who's very adept or, or flexible. Um, and they got a big problem. Rich, uh, we had Judge Richard Weinberg in the uh, studio with us, and, and uh, he's an accomplished judge. If we win the House... You know, if the Republicans win the House and the Republicans win the Senate by a couple, one, two, whatever it is, how do you stop this chief executive, uh, Joe Biden, he's still the president, from doing stupid things? Because everything he's done so far has hurt our country. Well, you, you, I mean, the legislative agenda, which obviously hasn't been going anywhere fast, it, you, you, totally block it. I mean, there's there's no hope. You take the Senate and, you know, his nominations can grind almost to a halt as well. The problem is the modern president has a, a lot of power to do things unilaterally, certainly in the uh, realm of foreign policy. So there, there are limits. You know, you need to win the presidency again. That, that, that's how you take care of the, the problem. But winning the House will be a big deal. They can undertake all sorts of investigations. What happened with Hunter Biden's laptop? What, why were former intelligence officials dishonest about it and trying to create the idea it was Russian disinformation, uh, on and on. You know, what's been going on with the CDC? Why do we get this ridiculous mask mandate? So there'll be a lot of good they can do with the House, but it's no substitute for winning the presidency. I, I agree with Rich. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is the legislature has certain fundamental powers. It can uh, delay or stop appointments. It can have over legislative investigation, oversight hearings. And it can uh, play around with uh, with the budget and approving uh, budget uh, modifications during the year. I think Rich has it has exactly right. You have to win. You have to win the presidency. But the ability to have hearings has enormous consequences when it's backed by subpoena power, as shown by mm-hmm. what the Democrats have been doing. And you can really hold, in terms of the court of public opinion, the Democrats and in the administration what they've been doing. The way they've been packing the administrative agencies, the way they've been ruling by regulation and by executive fiat, this is very, very important stuff. I mean, we have we have two big issues, Rich, that I'm very concerned about. I'm concerned about the uh, resurrection of the Iran deal, and I'm yep. very concerned about the rescission of uh, Title 42 and, and the border crisis. What say you? Yeah, I'm totally with you. I mean, th- these are these are ominous. I'll take Title 42 first. I mean, we shouldn't have a, a CDC edict be the, the only effective border measure. I mean, it's just insane. But since Biden reversed all the Trump stuff, Title 42 is all, all we got. And they're not really using it uh, as robustly as they could. But they, they lift it. Everyone knows it's going to be a debacle and totally overtop and overwhelm our system. The Iran deal, you know, um, Judge, you, you talk about legislative powers. This should have been submitted. The first deal should have been submitted to Congress as a treaty. Obama didn't do it because he knew it couldn't pass. Same thing with if they do this again, it should be uh, rightfully considered a treaty, but it's going to be horrible. It's going to be worse than the original deal. And every indication is, you know, that they're, they're giving uh, the Iranians every concession they possibly can. I mean, can, it's crazy. Really we, 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 
the Iranians are our enemy. They're Israel's enemy. They're, you know, and, and we're giving them everything. I just don't understand it. Now, I got one more question, Rich. And joining us in the studio right now is uh, George Venizelos. George was four years with the DEA, 24 years with the FBI. His last job was in charge of uh, New York. He was uh, uh, assistant director uh, of New York in charge. He was in charge of the 8,000 people, the largest office the FBI has. And we had a discussion yesterday of the foreign influence of money in our congressional elections because I have Congress people coming to me complaining that the money is flying in. Uh, it's coming in like no tomorrow. And before we go to George, you have any comments on that? Um, I, I'd be I'd be curious to uh, hear George. George, let's go to you. Tell us, you know, you you've been there when we've had Congress people come to us, both of us, and uh, uh, and uh, tell us about there is money flowing in from all sorts of places, whether it's uh, the Arabs, whether it's the Turks, whether it's the Russians. But don't forget, we have some strange, strange people elected to Congress that they didn't have a pot to piss in. And all of a sudden, they had a lot of money to run. Well, it's been, the last two elections are an indication. They've been very controversial. So uh, we've had a lot of complaints. I know John and I have heard from a lot of different um, Congress people that, you know, their opponents have come up with all crazy t- types of money. And uh, the foreign influence is real. It's real. It's, it, it's, it's illegal. For foreigners to contribute to it campaigns. is illegal. Yes. Now, the word I heard from one of them that this government is funneling in money to this uh, uh, hedge fund, which is funneling money, uh, le- theoretical legal money, if it was his own money, into congressional campaigns. So yeah. where the heck are we? That that's the big problem. They're they're finding all kinds of ways. To, to funnel money into campaigns through so-called legal means, you know, through a legal party, through a straw person, through a straw, a straw company, you know. And, and it's, it's a problem that, that this country, we really have to take a hard look at. You need to have a, a clear law that says that this kind of funneling money, this laundering the money, is in itself a crime. If I can, gentlemen, real quick before Rich Lowry goes, Rich, you live and die by Twitter, the thread, everybody in the media does, especially when uh, uh, the president at that time, Donald Trump, would send out tweets uh, morning, noon, and night. He's obviously been restricted. If Elon Musk is able to buy stock from the other board members, sizable enough to uh, take over Twitter uh, in a non-hostile way, what is that going to mean in terms of the information flow? Well, I think it'll be a great thing. I think Twitter will improve in all sorts of ways, but we'll have a more a true ethic of free speech, which is lost the last several years. I think it'll be an, an indication to social uh, other social media companies that their hierarchy does not need to be afraid of their woke uh, employees and can say, go pound sand, you work for me, and and I'm not going to let you run the show and, and politicize this whole operation. So I think it, it'll, it'll be a very good thing, and uh, hats off. Maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe you'll go back well. to freedom of speech to be, able, to be able to listen to both sides. And, that would be a and, good and, thing. And that's our problem, and we'll talk about it more yeah. later. That's our problem in our colleges, too. 
there's people can't listen to both sides. And that's what college is all about. You know, I went to NYU. Yes, we had the SDS at NYU, Students for Democratic Society, but they, they didn't prohibit other people from speaking. And, and if you want to talk about foreign influence, talk about social media between the Russians and the Chinese. They're controlling elections from that end, too. Well, on that That's note, another area. And we'll come back with, with more afterwards. Rich, and, uh, Rich, thank you. Yeah, Rich Lowry of the National Review, a fixture on the Bernie uh, McGurk and Sid Rosenberg show every Monday at 740.